I suppose we couldn't deny, and no matter how out of touch you might be with current events, none of us would deny, of course, the passing of Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. None of us would ever uh, be unaware and ignorant of that fact. And there are very few times in my short life where I have felt myself standing at a very historical moment, the ending of an age, the changing of an epoch. But that's exactly what Thursday afternoon was when the Queen passed away. I, I was reading articles around the subject and I came across one article that when the Queen's death was announced on that Thursday afternoon, the crowd that was gathered outside of Buckingham Palace that day began to sing a cappella, unarranged and unforced. They began to sing the national anthem, God save our gracious Queen. And of course that has been a song that has been sang time and time again and now of course they'll change it, they have to change it to God save our gracious King. I suppose I've heard that time and time again, one of my most vivid memories, I don't remember much from primary school, but one of my most vivid memories from primary school was when I was just five or six singing it when the Queen Mother passed away in primary school. And that was however many years ago. But that has been a song that has been sung and it will be played time and time again over these next few weeks. In many ways, I suppose, whenever the nation sing that anthem, it is, of course, in some ways a prayer, a prayer to God, that God might indeed save our gracious Queen. The salvation in which they're speaking about, of course, is a physical salvation. A salvation from physical disease, a salvation from social turmoil, a salvation from militarial defeat. I suppose in many ways that's how Peter uses the word salvation here. He speaks about this lame man who was made whole. He speaks about this lame man that was saved. He was physically saved, physically delivered, physically rescued from being a lame man to being able to walk again. But it seems to be from considering of the Queen's life that the Queen also experienced another salvation from God. The salvation that I want to speak about. The salvation that, preacher, that Peter preaches. Not a physical salvation from sickness and social pressure. But a salvation that is spiritual. A salvation from sin. A salvation to heaven. This of course is the great leveler in this statement. The Queen and I, as you would maybe expect, have very little in common. She was born with the silverest of silver spoons, with many houses, many mil millions in the bank. I was born in Balmoney. But the great leveller between the Queen and I is this. Peter's statement holds true. This conclusive statement, we must be saved. Peter, in fact, in this and the occasion in which he speaks it, on the one hand, you have all the august people of religious world and the political world of the Jewish nation. On the one hand, you have the mighty men, the high priests, the captain of the temple, and standing over on the other side is a fisherman from Galilee. Simple, ignorant, uneducated in the minds of the mighty men on the other side of the court. But Peter, we read with boldness, said, we 
must be saved. It is the great leveller. Regardless of your face or your place or your race, regardless whether you're blue-blooded or blue-collared, this is the great leveller from God. We must be saved. Boys and girls need it. Men and women need this salvation. And all people here in this meeting can have it through the Lord Jesus Christ. This conclusive statement, we must be saved. Saved why? Well, I don't know exactly what was in Peter's mind when he said it. I suspect one of the things in his mind was the fact that God is above us. He says to these men, you know, you need to be saved. These were religious men. These were upright men. These were good men in the eyes of many. But Peter looks them in the eye and says, men, good though you may be, upright though you might be, money you might have, houses you might dwell in, but men, you need to be saved because of God above us. A God who records sin, a God who hates sin, a God who one day will judge sin. The God above us. What about meaningless around us? That's why God can, God can save us from this vain way of life. Peter speaks about being redeemed from the vain traditions passed down from forefathers. I don't remember much from university days. Very little. It wasn't that long ago. I remember one thing. I don't think I'll ever forget it. I remember just looking at people I rub shoulders with at lectures and people who I tried to work with in group projects. I remember looking at them and knowing rightly that on Monday morning they might have a big smile. On Tuesday morning, they might get a little bit more depressed. I knew rightly that these people aren't satisfied. Their life was meaningless. Good people, moral people, friendly people. But at the bottom of it all, I knew their life was meaningless. They were trying to find satisfaction at the bottom of a bottle, at the end of the weekend, at the squeeze of a needle. All the while, satisfaction, salvation and enjoyment was in heaven above them in the person of Christ. These people needed to be saved because of God above them, meaningless around them. Particularly in Peter's mind, the reason why these people needed to be saved because of sin behind them. These men had committed terrible sins. And I look into the face of people that are upright, respectable, nice, friendly, warm, kind. But all of us would have to admit the sin that has been behind us. You know the great sin that these people were guilty of? I wonder, is anyone here guilty of it? The sin of rejecting Christ. The Lord Jesus said in John 16 that he will send the spirit who will convict men of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict concerning sin. Why? Because they've murdered or because they've stole or because they've lied. He'll convict the world of sin because ye have be ye, they believe not in me. The reason why the spirit has come and convicted men of the sin is because they have never trusted Christ. This is the world's greatest sin. And there's some here in this meeting and you've committed it. The sin that has been behind you. I suspect 
that uh, is it treason? The idea of treason is still carrying a life punishment. The idea of defacing or defaming or defying the sovereign ruler of the land. The punishment for that crime is life. A life punishment, a life sentence. Well, boys and girls, men and women, I think if we're honest, all of us have committed a cosmic treason. Treason against the greater than the sovereign on earth. We have committed treason against God. We have disobeyed him. We have, defa- we have defied him. And against God and God alone have we sinned. And the punishment for that sin and every sin is not a life punishment. It's an eternal punishment. If you were to ask my sister, uh, Laura, tell me, what was it that spoke to you before you get saved? She would say, I think, if, if the case is still true, if her memory still serves her right, she would say that what spoke to me was that I'm going to miss heaven. She knew that our mum was going, that our dad was going, that our grandparents were going. She knew that if she wasn't saved, she'd miss heaven. If you were to come to me and ask, why I wasn't saved, why I would like to be saved. It wasn't because I was so much scared of missing heaven. You know the reason why I wanted to be saved? I didn't want to go to hell. Boys and girls, you might not listen to 26-year-old Daniel. I was saved when I was seven years old, and when I was eight, I was given a Bible from my parents, and I still have that Bible. And in the flyleaf of that Bible, I have wrote these words. Will you listen to eight-year-old Daniel? In very childish handwriting, in a very childish script, sinners go to hell. Saved people go to hell. Basic, simple, but true. This is why we need to be saved. God above us, meaningless around us, sin that is behind us, and eternity that is ahead of us. Ahead of all you in your sins with only one of two destinations either heaven or hell this conclusive statement of the apostle Peter we must be saved what about Peter's what about how he spoke about an inclusive salvation he spoke about there's a name given that's good he says there's a name given and it's given to people who are under heaven I wonder Are you a person? Yes. Criteria number one. This name is given not only to people, it's given to people under heaven. Well, last I checked, this is a nice hall, but we're not yet in heaven. You meet the two criteria. You're a person and you're under heaven. Salvation and the name of Christ and the power to forgive your sins is offered to you. An inclusive salvation. It's offered to you. The Apostle Peter, in the previous chapter, he spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ and he said that he's the Son and he said that he's sent into the world. He said that he's sinless. Now all of a sudden, if you didn't know anything about Christ, I wonder, a great shift happens because he's a Son and he's sent and he's sinless. And then all of a sudden you read that he was slain. You would wonder just why, if you'd never heard the gospel message before, why is it 
that into this world someone so perfect has been and lived? How is it that he's been slain? Well, of course, Peter would go on to say that he's come into the world to turn all of you from your iniquities. You say, how, how will the Lord Jesus Christ turn me from my iniquities? You know why? Because he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon the cross, he took upon himself the sin of the world. He took upon himself our sin. And the penalty that was due to us, he himself bore. The Queen said on an occasion in 2011, God sent into the world a unique person. Not a philosopher, nor a general. But he sent into the world a saviour with power to forgive. God hasn't sent us a helper as if we just needed help. God hasn't sent into this world a political leader as if all of our problems are political. He hasn't sent into the world an economist because all of our problems or with the economy. He hasn't sent into the world a doctor because all of our problems are health. He has sent into the world a saviour because our greatest problem is sin. And into that world he has come, the inclusive saviour of all men. And into this world the Lord Jesus Christ has entered and finished a work that no one else can do. I would like to be help. I have heard over the years, maybe younger people, and, and anybody really, and they struggle with getting saved because they just can't work out how to believe and they just can't work out is that how simple it is. The old advice from Robert Murray McShane stands true. For every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. I would like to help some of you in this meeting who, who are maybe toying with the question, I wonder, is Christ enough? Let me tell you, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's higher than all. He's higher than all. He's in heaven and God has placed him in such a high position. Now you bear in mind that God had sent this son into the world to finish a work. And now all of a sudden, Daniel, you tell me that this same one who was sent to finish a work is in heaven. You know, that would tell me that God has been satisfied in the work that he's finished. No one exalts a man to a high position if he has not, first of all, met the requirements and maybe even superseded the requirements. And that's exactly what Christ has done. Christ is in the highest place in heaven to tell all you men and women and boys and girls that there's no one greater than him. That's what the Apostle Peter, not only does he say that he's higher than all, he says the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than all. There's some great names mentioned in chapter number three. He talks about Moses and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. He talks about, in this chapter, you read about Ananias, and Caiaphas, all these great men, and in the very cauldron of these great men, Peter says there's a greater man. Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord of glory. He's greater than all, he's higher than all. And another thing he tells them in chapter number three, he has accomplished a solution that's wider than all. You know, there's something about the argument from the greater to the lesser. If I told you that I can run marathons, and you don't look too shocked, which is good. If I can run marathons, 26 miles is no problem. I can run 26 miles like that. No problem at all. Now you say, now I wonder this Daniel boy, he can, he can run marathons, but I wonder could he run to the town square over there? He would say, of course he can't. If he can run 26 miles, there's no problem running half a mile to the town square. You see, if I can do the greater, there's no problem in me doing the lesser. 
You know, in chapter number three, Peter tells these men that Christ, he'll one day, he'll one day reconstitute the entire world. Every stray atom will be brought together in perfect harmony under the will of God and the headship of Christ. Every wrong thing will be put right. Every dark thing will be made light. Every black thing will be made bright. Every single thing, all the world being brought together in Christ. And some of you wonder, I wonder, I wonder can he save me from my sins? Dear friend, he'll put everything in the world right. And in this meeting, he can put your life right. Right with God and right for eternity. Conclusive statement, inclusive salvation. What about an exclusive saviour? That's the great truth of the gospel. Not only does Christ welcome all, but we have to bear in mind that there's only one way to God. It is inclusive of all people, but it's exclusive in that there's only one way. Charles has been read in as defender of the faith. He is, I have heard him on a previous occasion, he doesn't like that word the. He says, I prefer to be called the defender of faith. And mind you, well, that might be more palatable. It might be more politically correct. But that's not biblical. The Christian message and the faith revealed in the Holy Scriptures is not faiths or a faith. It's faith alone in Christ. And there might be many talk about faith and faith in this and faith in that. But faith is nothing. Faith is worthless unless faith is in Christ. Faith is vain. Faith can never be saving unless it's in the Lord Jesus Christ, an exclusive saviour, an inclusive salvation. Some people say, well, that, the whole idea of God, only one way to God, that makes you Christians awfully proud. You're just that proud. You're just happy because you've found the way. I, I don't know about you, but on the night I was saved, I was far from proud. Because I realized I can do nothing to save myself. My parents might have prayed for me. They might have taken me to meetings. They might have taken me to children's meetings. But I knew on that occasion, I can edge no closer to glory. I can come no nearer to God. And standing in my sin, helpless and hopeless, I realized that in Christ I have everything. If I put my trust in him. Conclusive statement. We must be inclusive salvation. Exclusive saviour. I wonder, is there, a, is there wonder, is there a decisive sinner here that's ready to make their mind up and put their faith in Christ, ready to set all things to the side for a moment and make it the aim to be saved tonight? No. Make it their aim to be saved now. As another has said, if you seek for salvation in Christ, it's impossible for you to miss it. If you seek for salvation in Christ, it's impossible for you to miss it. But if you seek for salvation outside of Christ, it's impossible for you to find it. Christ and Christ alone is the only way of salvation. And what about the compulsive season? The Apostle Peter here says that this name that has been given among men has been given to people who are under heaven. Peter's message came with a warning. The time for being saved is when you're under heaven. Because if you're in hell, the message of salvation is not for you. You have missed it. It's for now. 
It's for tonight. A conclusive statement. We must be saved. Inclusive salvation. All of you can be saved. Exclusive saviour. Through Christ and him alone you can be saved. Is there a decisive sinner that makes up their mind tonight? And hearing of the compelling words of Peter. To trust in Christ now. We have sang and the nation will sing on coming days. God save our gracious queen. I hope tonight God would save a guilty sinner, shall we pray. Our Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thee our thanks for him. We, our Father, would pray thy blessing upon thy word. We acknowledge the, of going over the time and we would ask for thy mercy. And we pray for grace to be shown to all these dear people. We, our Father, would love them to be in heaven with us. They don't know some of these boys and girls and men and women what they're missing. Being without Christ, we give thanks for the peace and the joy and the satisfaction it gives to have the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. And we pray that these boys and girls, men and women, would know it and know it even tonight. Eternity is long to spend it in the wrong place. And we would ask of thee to save a soul even tonight. Our Father, help us now as we continue and sing our closing hymn. Take us to our homes in safety in the name of the Lord Jesus.